Michael Elliott, your host today. This time, we're talking to Chris Pizette from Loot the Room and Alicia Furness. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. 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 Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in the indie tabletop role-playing game space? Yes. Hi, I'm Alicia Furness. As it was just stated, I make games. I'm a writer and designer. I'm known for my work on Brindlewood Bay and um, the hack I made, Paranormal Inc. I also did Camp Flying Moose. I design a lot in the Powered by the Apocalypse space. And um, I like to ask the question, who are the real monsters? And spoiler alert, it's us. We're the real monsters. I am Chris Bissett. I'm best known for my game, The Wretched. Uh, I run a website called Loot the Room. I write solo games and kind of OSR adjacent dungeon games and adventures and all sorts of shit, really. I'm very bad at introducing myself also. Luckily, we're here to talk to you about the project you are all making together, uh, The Unquiet Dark. So would you like to give us a bit of an elevator pitch as to what that's about? Yeah, so um, The Unquiet Dark is a Brindlewood Bay prequel campaign. It's set 100 years ago in 1922, and it's basically Jazz Age Eldridge Terrors. That is so up my alley. I'm so very excited for this. So you both seem to come from very different like design backgrounds and philosophies like Chris you mentioned OSR Alicia you mentioned more like PBTA how did you two come together to decide to make this jazz age uh, occult game we both ended up writing for Brindlewood Bay we both wrote some mysteries for the Brindlewood Bay expansion Nephews in Peril and while that was all being done Jason and I had talked on Twitter about a Brindlewood Bay hack based on things like vicious about an elderly gay couple running a B&B and when Jason asked if somebody wanted to write it Alicia and I both said yes and so we ended up writing that together and it was a really great experience at least for me it was I really enjoyed working with them and um we've just kind of stayed in touch and worked on a few things together since and um I don't even know where did we get the idea for this where did this come from I don't remember. I think we were just really excited after we released our previous hack, Bed, Breakfast, and Beyond. And I think we were just like, I don't know, high on the excitement of that. And we were like, what if we did more of this? And I remember we started brainstorming potential ideas. You know, in the brainstorming process, um, Chris and I have like a doc that we just brain dump all of our various things in and then like yell at each other in excitement about it. It's a very ADHD (laughs) document. We had an idea of maybe doing one historical mystery and that kind of spiraled into but what if actually an entire campaign about this yeah oh that sounds awesome is there like a way you're like sharing the workload is like one of you like better at like generating ideas and the ones like more like editing down that possibility space or just kind of like pick at whatever makes you most excited about the project I think it's definitely the latter, isn't it? We both just kind of throw ideas in. And we talk about things a lot as well before any writing happens. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think either of us have like a fixed role. We just kind of do what feels right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I would. It, like, So in the case of this, we sort of divide it up. We have a set number of mysteries. That's easy. You know, like we can divide them in half and write them. But in terms of like conceptualizing, yeah, it's just whoever sort of picks up with an idea. If we decide we like it, someone runs with it. Whoever's feeling excited about it at the moment and it just kind of shifts. Uh, I hate doing layout. You know, Chris picks up layout, that kind of thing. I don't mind doing admin work, so I do some of that. It just naturally kind of falls between us. It's a very natural working relationship, I find. Yeah. It doesn't ever feel forced, which is great, which is why it works, I think. Awesome. That sounds like a fantastic partnership. So in terms of setting for, like, the Unquiet Dark, there's a lot out there that you could pull inspiration from, but, like, do you have, like, specific media touchstones, inspirations that you're you're pulling from? Uh, yeah, we took our title inspiration, and all of the titles for the mysteries are coming from The Great Gatsby. As a touchstone, um, we sort of said The Great Gatsby, but what it's actually intended to do, as opposed to maybe how people interpret it sometimes. So we really want to dig into uh, the tension in society, the excess capitalism, this kind of war of morality aspect that you find in that kind of work. Yeah, and like, I'm really interested in like, the faded glamour of old Hollywood. Obviously, we're not setting it in Hollywood. We're setting it in Brindlewood Bay, which is sort of like, I think, New England, completely other side of the States from Hollywood. But for me, at least, like things like Day of the Locust are a, a big touchstone for me as well. So you're saying there might be some kind of thematic connection between people who are uh, extremely wealthy and uh, incredibly powerful eldritch horrors that feast on humanity? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. In that incredibly uh, awesome uh, possibility space, do you have like a favorite bit of, of world lore that you've developed so far that kind of evokes those feelings? I think that it's sort of relevant to what we were just talking about. The thing that excites me, that was it was a little bit there in our previous hack, and I think that through the, the sort of setting and the inspiration it gets to come out more, is really digging into like a fuck capitalism aspect. Uh, Brindlewood Bay is a, a whaling town, traditionally. Like, we're not messing with the setting of Brindlewood Bay. But in the 1920s, we have a lot more, like, whaling financiers. We have venture capitalists sort of setting their sights on New England, making it this sort of, like, nouveau place for them to hang out. I like the tensions that we're building into this kind of, like, what would seem like a working-class New England whaling town with the tension of these kind of nouveau riche people coming in and making it their own. Yeah, and at the same time as that, you've also got, it's 1922, so you're under the shadow of Prohibition as well, and I'm really interested in kind of layering under everything Alicia just talked about, a layer of like bootlegging and organised crime and digging into that aspect of the time period as well, because I think that's a really rich vein to mine especially alongside themes of, you know, anti-capitalism and everything Alicia just talked about. I've been watching a lot of Boardwalk Empire on that point lately, just to dig into that, like, prohibition, organized crime feels. Definitely. So, yeah, a lot of room for, for conflict, drama, and mystery. Yeah, because, like, Brindlewood Bay is ultimately a game about solving crimes as little old ladies. And so, you know, we don't want to get too far away from that. Brindlewood Bay, you were solving crimes as like this this community of older ladies. Is this idea like 
these are potentially these same characters just earlier in their lives that you could maybe like bring to Brindlewood Bay? So we actually have kept the structure mostly the same. You're still playing as elderly ladies. Um, you certainly could play as like younger versions of yourselves if you've already played a campaign. But we, we had a planned it like it's just the same. You're elderly ladies, but now instead of sort of being set contemporarily and instead of reading the uh, Mana Delacorte novels. Now you're reading um, the Inspector Gaudreau series that comes out in Ladies News Monthly. But all of the base stays the same. It's just getting a little bit of a 1920s twist. Awesome. So we've talked a lot about uh, your primary influence being Brindlewood Bay. Is there anything else that you can trace in like, the game's genealogy of like other mechanics or systems that have uh, influenced your choices in the design of the game? Mechanically, it's still Brindlewood Bay. Like We're not reinventing the wheel. It's more about providing more content for that game because it's a game that we both love. Yeah, I would say one change that we have made is that um, traditionally in a in a Brindlewood Bay mystery, um, you have void clues assigned to each mystery. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a page from The Between, which is also by Jason Cordova and also uses the same structure as Brindlewood Bay. Instead of having void clues for each individual mystery, we're going to have like a selection of void clues at the end that you can pepper throughout your campaign divided by seasons because uh, we have sort of approached this as having various mysteries throughout the season. So you're like pay- playing through one year of the game. And so this will allow you to kind of pick and choose for more variety of void clues as opposed to just three or four assigned to that particular mystery. So if you're sticking pretty close to the Bridgewood Bay formula, is there like a favorite bit of design work or lore you've, you have in design? I mean, I'm just really excited about the cult that we have created. That's really what's making this different, um, is the fact that we've created a whole new dark conspiracy and a new cult uh, for people to interact with. They worship a different god. And I'm just really excited about that because I feel like that really gives shape to the whole mystery. Okay, well, I'm not going to clap because I know that's probably bad for like podcasting, but imagine I'm clapping in between each word where I say, tell me about the cult. <laughs> I don't know how much we want to give away about the cult. Mm, we need to save some stuff to be a, uh, a surprise, right? We thought really long and hard about what themes we wanted to investigate uh, through this prequel campaign and uh, very intentionally chose a cult that we thought would be a good fit. All right. Well, if you want to learn more about this cult, and I definitely do, we're going to have to see this game funded. So please tell me about your crowdfunding campaign that's going to make the Unquiet Dark a reality. Yeah, so we're on Kickstarter. Uh, We're launching February 1st. It's going to run for about three weeks. We have a small team, so we have managed to keep the funding requirements relatively low while still recognizing that everyone needs to be uh, adequately compensated for their work. We're just really excited. There's going to be a physical copy as well as digital copies, and uh, we're keeping it simple, but we're excited about it. And one of the good things, because Alicia's based in Canada, I'm based in the UK, um, and that actually helps us keep shipping costs for the physical as low as we can as well, because we're both going to be fulfilling physicals. You know, quite often I'll run a Kickstarter and people in the States will say, well, it costs more than the cost of the book to ship it across the ocean. And I'm not going to back it for that reason. And you don't have that excuse now. True. You're welcome. Plus the Canadian dollar is how we're running this, and it's not that great. So everyone else is saving money. Oof, yeah. As a fellow Canadian, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Fantastic. So do you have any hopes for the Unquiet Dark uh, beyond just funding? We do have a couple of stretch goals, um, again, to try and keep costs reasonable. Uh, the base thing includes four mysteries, and we have a stretch goal that allows us to expand that to eight mysteries. And a second stretch goal that allows us to add just a little bit more world building stuff that keepers will be able to add to this campaign. Yeah, keeping it very simple, but also building in excuses for us to do more writing because we're really enjoying it. Awesome. More mysteries, more details about this mysterious cult. I love it. So, Chris, Alicia, where can we find you online and hear more about The Unquiet Dark? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at pangalactic that's p-a-n-g-a-l-a-c-t-i-c uh you can find all of my work and various links because i i do a lot of things at lootetheroom.io that's got links to my print store my itch store uh my fiction my music etc everything that i do is there and i will be shouting about unquiet dark a lot in the next couple of weeks you will not be able to miss it. And you can find me on Twitter. I live there uh, at Alicia Furness and also my website, aliciafurness.com. And between those two places, you can find me really anywhere on the internet. Well, now you all know where to go to find out more about these incredible mysteries and this cult that I'm very excited about. And I guess all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for coming on Yes Indeed Pod and fantastically, overwhelmingly culty good luck with your crowdfunding campaign. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Michael, Chris, and Alicia for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Today's episode is sponsored by Chris Kentley of Enead Games. Want to get loads of PDFs for a silly low price? Now is your chance. Enead Games, makers of system-free generators and helpful tables, is having a mega bundle sale covering a large portion of their content produced over the last 10 plus years. $39.99 for more than 430 PDFs. Yes, that's right. $39.99 for more than 430 PDFs. The Enead Games mega bundle ends 9am GMT, February 15th, 2022. To complement the Yes Indeed Pod event, all through February, Yes Indeed Pod is running a Patreon drive. We're trying to hit $200 per month so that we can continue to pay all of our guests as well as hire a podcast transcriber. If you sign up during February, on top of the usual benefits of being a subscriber, you can also get some exclusive merchandise. Sign up at $2 to get a handwritten postcard, as well as regular shoutouts and access to our guest and subscriber Discord server. $5 per month, you can also join our monthly editing and chat streams, and I'll send you a handwritten greetings card and your choice of Yes Indeed Pod stickers. And at $20 per month, join our book club where every month you get free PDFs from one of our guests. As well as a greetings card and stickers, you'll also get an exclusive personalised faux leather bookmark for your RPG reading. So remember, if you love Yes Indeed Pod and want to support what we do and get some exclusive merchandise, be sure to check out patreon.com slash yesindeedpod. If you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcast, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod, that's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is adapted from Nothing Like Captain Crunch from Slamfunk by Broke for Free, available on the Free Music Archive and released under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. Until next time, remember, does indie need you? Yes, indeed. <laughs>